when we don't sleep well, our brains can be up to 60, 70% more negative. So we have over 100,000 thoughts per day. For most people, because the way the brain is wired, quite a few of those are negative and unhelpful, discouraging of ourselves. And when we haven't slept, that becomes magnified. And when we haven't slept, you wake up. If you imagine like a thermometer, and when it reaches a certain point, we kind of <laughs> we lose our heads. <laughs> we might say things we regret, or we become really impatient or make bad decisions. When you haven't slept, you wake up and that thermometer is already risen from you know comparison if you had slept so we have to be realistic that sleep is a performance ingredient and therefore we can only do the best we can with the situation we're in right now welcome back to the leaders of babies podcast my name is felina hefty i'm the ceo and founder of the social enterprise we discussed as you know, as regular listeners, I have set up this podcast and our award-winning leaders plus fellowship because I want to give you access to inspiration and practical support so you can continue to progress your career whilst enjoying your young children in a way that works for you. This is actually my third episode after being back from maternity leave. And to be honest, like so many other people coming back from maternity leave, I also was wondering, hmm, are people still want to listen? what I have to say, are, still, are people still interested, is what I do still relevant, and, and all these normal, yet not entirely rational thoughts went through my head. But I just wanted to say a big thank you because I looked at the data recently and it seems every single one of you listeners stayed with me all this period and that really touched me and made me even more motivated to create episodes that are highly relevant for you. Obviously, if you want to help us grow the podcast, which is something I really want to do, then do please share this episode with one or two people that benefit. Now, today I have someone very special for you who I have to admit I've interviewed mainly in order to get a personal one-to-one coaching session. I've been for a very long time passionate about the idea that parents can perform as well as anyone else. And... I've been following the work of Katie Varner, who is a mom and performance psychologist for a while. She works with Team GB to prepare them for the Olympics. And she works with business leaders too. And on the day I recorded this, I was very tired, four hours sleep, due to new baby. So when I recorded this episode, I was very curious about how to get exceptional performance in challenging circumstances. We also talk quite a bit about guilt and the impact of guilt on performance, which I'm sure many of you listeners can relate to. This episode is going out just about a week before the closure of the Leaders Plus Fellowship deadline, and I just want to encourage any of the listeners who are listening and who think, yes, you know, I do really feel like I want to be part of a community of change makers. Do take a look and consider applying. Um, I have to say some of our strongest applicants tend to come from the podcast listeners. I think you've heard me talk about what it is, so you get a similar mentor, we share with you the latest research on career progression, and we give you space to think about what your vision is and how you want to take that forward. You get group coaching, and, uh, peer support, and so on and so forth, and, and it has proven impact. We so do quite a vigorous impact evaluation. So anyways, do take a look. I would love to see as many of you as possible apply and I'm delighted to say we've been able to make an additional place available for people who can't afford it. So just if you apply, then just mark hardship fund if you are, let's say, 
victim of entrepreneurial discrimination or you're in financially very challenging circumstances because I'm very passionate about creating access for everyone. And as you know, I love having a diverse cohort. So especially if you're a man, if you're from a background who's usually underrepresented in senior leadership, for example, with disability or ethnic minority, then I'm doubly keen to hear from you. So yeah, take a look. Deadline is 11th of October and get it in. And as I said, we do have a group for people with primary school to children as well, because I think quite a few of you listening have actually not got babies anymore, but now they're primary school children. Anyways, I really hope you have a very thought-provoking episode with Katie. Thank you for listening. Enjoy. very warm welcome Katie to the podcast. I am delighted to have you here because the topics that you're an expert in are really topics I'm passionate around. Performance, guilt and just how to get the best of ourselves in a pressurized situation. Why don't we start with you introducing yourself and telling me who is in your family and what you do for work? Yeah, sure. Thank you for having me. It was lovely to discover your podcast, actually. So thank you for the invitation. So I'm Katie and I'm a performance psychologist. I work across different environments from the classroom to elite sport environments to businesses. The essential premise across all of them is to help people be the best they can be and live the life they aspire to and that they really sort of dream of. In my family, I have a little two-year-old called Isla May and my husband, Remy, and we live in Leamington Spa in the Midlands. His parents are just up the road in Coventry and my parents are down in London. So yeah, we're uh, connected as much as we can up and down the M40. In fact, I just got back last night from a little trip to the grandparents. So, <laughs> And just for our listeners to really imagine what your work is like. So you worked with athletes as well. I am definitely not an athlete, but what does that <laughs> look like? So do you, do you chat with them when they're scared of not jumping high enough? I'm sure it's more yeah. complicated than that, but is that what you're doing? Yeah, it's so varied. So over the course of, I've been working in elite sport for 10 years now within Team GB. So preparing our athletes for the London Olympics in 2012 and through to Rio with a number of different sports and then a couple of different sports again into Tokyo this year and, and the work is so varied it's one of the things I love about it. it you could be working with a player to help them manage the nerves they have in big pressure moments and how to sort of stay calm and focused or how to get out of their comfort zone in training in order to push their levels and find higher levels of performance than perhaps their mind is telling them sometimes you work with athletes and coaches on how they're communicating and how they're giving each other feedback that makes a difference rather than sort of pulls them apart sometimes you're working with the whole system so I I'm really passionate about teams and teamwork and and what the values are that a group of people want to stand for. And also just that I think sports psychology has evolved over the years. It used to be kind of sort of a bit traditional of like self-talk and you know, how are you talking to yourself? And that is really, really important, but it's so much more nowadays, which is brilliant. It's more about the meaning of sport and you know, who do you want to be when they put a medal around your neck? You know, when you stand on that podium, what do you want to represent? What's the message you're trying to send to the world? How are you trying to inspire the next generation? 
in your own life, what is the role of sport often in healing early life adversities or, or traumas? And so healing through sport has been something that I've become really fascinated by. So it's, yeah, it's <laughs> it's so varied. I, you also might find me carrying a water bottle. I try to think of some of the less glamorous parts that I've been involved in collecting up balls and you know, just kind of getting involved with the team and helping out where I can. Interesting. How did you get into it? Were you sporty yourself? I was when I was younger. So gymnastics was my passion. I trained obsessively, <laughs> perhaps a bit unhealthily, actually, when I look back. So I was, a, I was an artistic gymnast and, and flew around the world representing Great Britain as a 12-year-old. I just I really look back and think, well, <laughs> oh my gosh. I had a wonderful career, but a difficult career, and particularly in relation to my coach. And when I left the sport, I felt really really sad actually that it had I've sort of lost my love for it because it had become so serious so intense really disconnected in the relationship I had with my coach and so hence now a lot of my passion is helping athletes and coaches connect better to really understand each other and get the best out of each other so that sport I, I so believe that sport can be a, a wonderful force for good in in life but it can also be quite toxic if we don't get it right so yeah my own sporting history informs my work but not in the way that I perhaps want thought it would in terms of I've achieved some great things and I want to share with others how to do that because there is no recipe there is no one way it's more about sort of walking alongside athletes coaches teams to help them with their goals and what it is they care about I think it's fascinating because I'm coming at this from obviously looking at leaders with babies I am extremely passionate about making sure that people who are looking after young children still have the chance to progress their careers because I really think we need to have equality in senior leadership and one mm. of the key ways of doing that is by helping people progress their careers. But a lot of individuals, myself very much included, report huge lack of sleep. I'm sure that's familiar to you. And report just being drained, no time for yourself. Yeah. I don't mean to put it down on anyone listening here, but... honest. I feel that it's harder to perform at my best, but I really believe I still can perform at my best. I obviously have different strengths now having been a parent. Mm. But how do you perform well when you have slept rubbish? <laughs> I love that question. I think about that a lot because coming into motherhood, I'm quite, I guess, a little bit older as a mother now. I, I turn 40 next year. And yeah, with a two-year-old, most of my friends have got much, much older children. <laughs> I can see, I think they were really sensible, but I hadn't met the right person. And, and so hadn't, yeah, hadn't got started in a family earlier. But I mean, even just now, it's so, so timely. Last night, we moved house recently and my little one's not very settled in the new house. And at 2 a.m. in the morning, I was sleeping on the floor in her room. And I kept thinking, like, why have I not put a mattress down here? Like, I just... <laughs> I need to just accept it. So even like last night, I, I sit here in front of you now fairly knackered. And so I think that, I mean, there are some things that we need to to be straight with ourselves over that sleep is a fundamental component of mental performance. So when we don't sleep well, our brains can be up to 60, 70% more negative. So we have over a hundred thousand thoughts per day for most people, because the way the brain is wired, quite a few of those are negative and unhelpful, discouraging of ourselves. And when we haven't slept, that becomes magnified. And when we haven't slept, you wake up. If you imagine like a thermometer and when it reaches a certain point, we kind of <laughs> we lose our heads. <laughs> we might sleep 
say things we regret or we become really impatient or make bad decisions. When you haven't slept, you wake up and that thermometer has already risen from you know, comparison if you had slept. So we have to be realistic that sleep is a performance ingredient and therefore we can only do the best we can with the situation we're in right now. So being compassionate to ourselves, thinking smartly about what's most important today. How can I be kind to myself in light of a poor night's sleep, which is <laughs> such a regular feature? Yeah, it, and I just think having a good team around you that are enlightened, that recognize that you are more than your delivery on any one given day, which is informed by the circumstances. And that's so so comparable to the work I do with athletes. So we always, well, I work with athletes to help them redefine success in ways that are within their control. Because as soon as we define success as an outcome, a medal, a result, a performance, you know, as a mum being perfect, being brilliant, whatever it might be, never losing our temper we start to create a lot of stress because there's a part of our brain that knows it's not really in our control. An athlete can't guarantee a win just as we can't guarantee going through the day being exceptional off the back of four or five hours sleep. So if we redefine success towards giving the best I can with the skills I have at the moment in the circumstances I find myself in, then it's within our power to do that. And when you do that, you also enhance your performance because you've got less interference, less distraction, less stress, less pressure. And you just focus on what you can do with where you are right now. And that might sound unconscious as I hear myself say that and people might be listening thinking, oh, that sounds a bit soft and fluffy, but it's really not. But it's really hard to take responsibility for how you define performance or how you define success and to do that in a way that's enlightened and that's smart rather than just going with what society tells us about whether it's an athlete success is winning like well if you've won and you haven't enjoyed the journey or if you've won at serious cost to the relationships you value that's not really winning that's quite an empty an empty victory and the same for us as a mother sorry I'll stop I think I'm going off on one (laughs) no I think it's very interesting Mm -hmm. I'm just thinking I really love the concept of defining what success is and doing your best but as a perfectionist how do you define what your best is I mean how do you tell an athlete I guess what their best is or how do you do it in your own life yeah so in my own life I encourage myself and it it doesn't come easily it's not the way our brains are wired I encourage myself to define it in terms of inputs not outputs so effort or attitude or planning or being present having a few little mantras like when I first had Isla a couple of friends said to me that you know that quote about it takes a village to raise a child and I hold that so close to my heart like it really does and it's okay that I need help from time to time it's okay that I find it tough and I've only got one and yeah there are amazing ladies <laughs> with two three four five my husband's mum is one of seven uh, I just yeah absolutely blows my mind so defining it in terms of an input not an output the level of parenting that I achieve today is not in my control the intention I bring to it, holding her in mind, caring for her experience through the day, having realistic expectations. My job is not to make her happy, but to be alongside her with whatever she's feeling in the moment. To try to respond as an adult, the type of adult I hope she might grow up to be. Yeah, it's not perfect. It's not perfect. I don't want her to be perfect. That'd be a bit freaky. No one's perfect. I want her to be real. So therefore I need to role model that myself. And sometimes, and I was literally encouraged this by a mentor of mine the other day, I can say to her, do you know what? We're going to go home now because mommy's bored of the playground. <laughs> Whereas the perfectionist in me wants to say, oh, isn't this so much fun? Let's go round on the roundabout again. <laughs> oh my goodness. I love that. That is so true. 
yeah just being real <laughs> that is so true i'm definitely gonna steal that phrase i am bored now i want to go home i, th I think we also have a right to we have a right to a nice afternoon sometimes and sometimes that involves being at the playground but it definitely often doesn't for me anyways <laughs> interesting so but then i guess at the other i mean you are coaching people to win aren't mm -hmm. you and mm -hmm. it sounds like you are a very driven person yourself. I'm, I may misinterpret, but just looking at what you do and you've built this really successful business, that speaks of me, of, of someone who, who is really passionate about getting an excellent result. Assuming you do have lots of things going on in your life, what do you yeah. do to create that excellence, regardless of everything going on? What a question. You're right. I, so I do work with people to help them win. But we define, like we're talking about, we define winning properly. So there's an amazing lady called Pippa Grange, who has been a mentor of mine for a number of years now. And she's written a book called Fearless, How to Win at Life Without Losing Yourself. She's magnificent. And I love that concept that really aligns with my own values of like, what type of winning do you want to do? And really, when it comes to like, the winning bit's the easy bit. The enjoying, well, not entirely easy, but that's very achievable. I've worked with multiple Olympic champions, world champions, and, and so on. The bit that's more important is finding meaning in the winning and growing through it. Can you use your sport as a vehicle to become a better version of yourself? Can I, through motherhood, can I learn about myself, come to appreciate my strengths more than I did before? Definitely. Come to connect with other women, whether they're mothers or not. It just definitely so you can in terms of the technical process I, I just run a model where we think about what it takes to win what would it take to win how do we define that what could go wrong along the way how do we plan for that what are the skills we need to build I'm a big believer in the sort of train hard fight easy metaphor so we've got to we've got to work really really hard to achieve something exceptional not many people will will do that so there's got to be a really clear reason why And most people haven't really had the opportunity to think about their why and kind of what they want to stand for. And, and when you find that, you have the most phenomenal fuel to do exceptional things. Mm -hmm. But athletes that win are real human beings with worries and doubts, just like the rest of us. Mm. It makes me think of the vision work that we do with our fellows. So we run a nine month fellowship program and we get the fellows who are all parents and who are leaders we get them to think re we really push them to think really deeply about what is their purpose what is their vision both for their careers and for their family life yeah and i think it, it resonates because actually what you need to be good at is probably only the things that lead you to that vision the rest you can be really bad at and that's fine yeah Yeah, exactly. And even Usain Bolt wasn't great at everything. Mm. He wasn't a very good starter. <laughs> like if the 100 meters became 50 meters, he would not have won as many as he has won. You don't have to be, you don't have to be great at everything. You, you can't be. That's where that kind of the, the essence of self-esteem of, of knowing where your strengths are, knowing where your value is, not defining yourself through what you do and knowing that there are some things you're not very good at and that's okay. I'm really surprised. I have to say, I'm so surprised. I expected you to give me a recipe for excellent performance and I thought it would involve like lots and lots of really complicated things but actually you're telling me that even the people who do the highest performing things in the sports world even they it's important for them to focus on what's important and to prioritize hundreds and that's so surprising to me mm. I know it's beautiful but it's beautiful isn't it and then there is like 
I'm a big lover of neuroscience. I really love to help the people I work with understand how their brain works. And there's some particular steps we would follow to that. But that, yeah, there's no recipe in my experience. And I'm almost 15 years in now to working in this field. And I think, yeah, people are just brilliant, aren't they? People are brilliant. And I, but I also think, you know, for an athlete to become a world champion or a team to win a premiership, is remarkable, but it's also remarkable the ladies that are creating the vaccines or the, you know, the the work that goes on in healthcare. That my um, husband's cousin Gemma is a is a nurse, and the work she does there with two kids, like phenomenal. Everybody has got there's a spark of brilliance in all of us. The question is, can you find it? Can you nurture it? Can you keep it keep it burning when things go wrong? Have you got people alongside you that will champion you? Mm. So interesting, and I'm also just really interested in so I you're talking for context you're talking to a woman who has slept four hours last night (laughs) so I'm just really interested in that question how you perform when you are in that situation just do the best you can with where you're at and that'll be enough for me yeah lovely yeah but you also talked about the negative self-talk that increases Mm. you said by 60 Mm. or 70 percent when you Mm. haven't slept well yeah and I'm sure lots of listeners can relate to that. Yeah. Do you have any practical tips of how you should deal with that negative self-talk in a pressurized situation? Definitely. So I think the first thing is to, to recognize that. So to not, you can't fight science. You can't fight neuroscience. We have got to accept and work with the rules, you know, work with how the brain works. And I'm a bit geeky on this. I really love to understand why. So, you know, from an evolutionary point of view, if you think back to sort of the caveman era, if a caveman or woman was tired, they would be more vulnerable because when we're tired, our reactions are slower. We might not notice a predator lurking on this. So the brain has evolved to then focus more on what could go wrong because that is trying to compensate for the tiredness. So then we're, we're scanning the environment as a caveman or woman for threat. And when you look for threat, you'll find it. Whereas if we've slept well, we're, we're sort of scanning for threat all the time. That's what the brain does, but we're not as sensitive to it. We're not kind of over-exaggerating that. So understanding that it's normal is the first step for me. Then the second one is just having a couple of mantras where I think through like, I am not my thoughts. I'm not my thoughts because I have thoughts and I notice my thoughts. So I can't be my thoughts. I'm no more my thoughts than I am my left toe. Like I know, and if my left toe gets bruised, I don't suddenly hate myself. I just think, oh, my left toe's got a bruise on it. So if my thoughts become a bit dysfunctional, a bit unhelpful, doesn't mean I'm I'm unhelpful or I'm dysfunctional. It just means my thoughts are not very helpful today. When we can create space from our thoughts and notice, so even just saying to myself, I notice I'm having lots of unhelpful thoughts today. That when you use that phrase, I notice, you've just created a bit of space. And in that space is your freedom to choose something different. So rather than trying to think positive, I'm just going to say, do you know what? My mind's a little bit bit murky today. <laughs> I'm just going to let it be. Muddy water is best cleared left alone. Stop throwing pebbles in the water and just let it let it clear. Just let it be. Keep it a bit simple. And then other little, little tips and tricks, like I often just would use the phrase, thanks mind. Because China, I've, I love the notion that your mind is just trying to keep you safe. So thanks mind. I get that you think X, Y, Z is a disaster, but... Let's just see how we feel tomorrow. The one I struggle with and I constantly try to embed more into my psychology is, you know, the 2 a.m. when you're feeling (laughs) all sorts of dark things like, I cannot cope, I just want some sleep. Why does my little one want to go to the playground at 2 a.m.? Ah, (laughs) Yeah, so just reminding myself at that point, like thoughts are not facts. They're just stories that your brain is creating in that moment. Mm. And you mentioned the word mantra. And I think some people also use affirmations or something similar. Some people find it 
uneasy and think it's a bit of woo-woo. Is there mm-hmm. scientific evidence that if mm. you're telling yourself something repeatedly, it works Absolutely. and it will change your thinking? Absolutely. Your brain changes in the same way that your body changes when you go to the gym. Your brain changes. If you chew chewing gum, it has to affect your brain. Like your brain is always like malleable. It's always moving and changing and shifting. And if you think about it, like if you go out for a walk and there's a path that's really sort of densely sort of populated with trees and lots of kind of shrubs and stuff. If you kept walking down that path again and again and again and again, you leave footprints, you would leave a path and it would clear away. So then, and then you could walk down it quicker because it's now cleared of the, the shrubs or whatever. I'm not particularly green-fingered, so I'm not using the right language, but hopefully you know what I mean. And it's the same with self-talk. When you talk to yourself intentionally, then you're creating the path that then becomes easier and quicker. So there's a phrase within neuroscience that cells that fire together, wire together. If you've got kind of a difficult situation and then some kind self-talk and you pair those two things together repeatedly, then those will fire together automatically and it takes less energy, less effort to then think well in those moments. In the moment of pressure, whether it's pressure of our little ones having little meltdowns or pressure of work or life pressures, it's very difficult to change your thinking because the slightly more negative part of our brain is roughly five times stronger. So it's very difficult in the moment to think your way out of a problem, which is why doing it beforehand a little like uh, I call it like a little mental warm up for the day. So when I'm brushing my teeth, I might think through what am I looking forward to today or what strengths might I want to try and bring? What am I grateful for? Where am I going to be kind to myself? It only takes 30 seconds just to where you're brushing your teeth. Like I once went through a phase with each tooth, I'm going to try and think something. I'll think of someone I'm grateful for. Like just playful ways. I appreciate it won't work for everyone. And then you're basically priming your mind to respond how you want it to rather than going off some primitive wiring that isn't particularly helpful. Mm. Interesting. I don't think I've ever heard anyone explain it so clearly. (laughs) Do you have any recommendations on a book, your favorite book that explains this? I think our listeners would really love to read up to there's, yeah, there's a, I mean, I love that the Pippa Grange book is wonderful to read. Anything by Brene Brown will definitely open up some of what we're talking about. But the one that probably speaks to the sort of techniques that I'm talking about is The Happiness Trap by Russ Harris. That's a really good one. Brilliant. Thank you very much. Guilt is another biggie, which many parents do experience. Guilt, not being a good enough parent or not being good enough at work. What's the relationship between performance and guilt? Yeah, it's one I've noticed and started to study more and more because of how frequently it's come up as an issue with my business clients, with school teachers, with athletes. When we look back to how our emotions evolve, emotions are their messengers, it's data. Um, actually, that's another good book, Susan David, Emotional Agility. And one more, Liz and Molly, No Hard Feelings. Brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. The question, guilt. Yeah, so guilt, So guilt, as I've come to understand it from just my own studies and, and observing people, is Guilt is a really healthy emotion in the right context, in the right proportion. Guilt is a motivator. Guilt says, hang on, I've done something wrong. I've crushed my values, something along those lines. And guilt then motivates me to do something about it. So a few years ago, I noticed that I was being really naff at remembering my friend's birthdays. And I love my friends, but I was neglecting them. I I had this moment of clarity, but I never forget a meeting. (laughs) I never just forget to turn up. So why is it that? Once a year for my four or five closest friends, I'm not. And then I was like on Amazon Prime the night before, not thoughtful, just like, oh, come on. Like, I want to do better. My values are stronger than that. 
And I felt really guilty. So guilt comes up and says that you need to pay attention to this. So I actually can be thankful for guilt because then I properly put their birthdays in my calendar, got a little bit more organized, set the alarm a week before so I could get on the front foot with it. But the problem with guilt is that when we have such high standards of ourselves, we get guilt inappropriately all the time. And then it turns into more of a sort of feeling of shame. So whereas guilt is, I did something wrong. Okay, I'm human. I make mistakes. Let's correct it. Shame is, I am wrong. There's something wrong with me. So when we overplay guilt and turn it in on ourselves, it becomes really toxic. And shame doesn't motivate action. Shame actually motivates secrecy and going within myself and and then it grows and grows and becomes such an inhibitor in life. So I think what's really important is to notice when guilt comes up, where do you feel it in your body? What you know, for me it's like in my really in my chest, like like a ball. Notice it and just start to think if if a friend of mine was in this situation feeling guilty, would I think that that was reasonable? Or would I think that was a bit of an overreaction? And is it possible that we're overplaying guilt due to unrealistic expectations? You know, the science around the good enough parent, like who you stand on the side of the road, have 50 people walk past you. How many of them are good enough parents? Like, what, how are you even going to go about measuring that? You get, <laughs> you'd love to see us try. You can't, like, there is, there is no, like, if you want to go to the science, like the science from child psychology and development studies say, if, we, if you're holding the child in mind, I've, you've got good intentions, you're thinking and trying to care for them, and you're responding to their needs roughly 50% of the time, technically, that is good enough. I mean, some people don't need to use technical definitions like that. For me, it's just like, am I doing the best I can with mm. where I'm at? And am I learning how to keep, keep discovering new ways? Yeah, and 50% of the time, that's actually not that high a bar. It's really not, is it? No, that's really yeah. helpful. And, and I do find when I see people and see parents who are balancing both their aspirations for their career and their children, I do find sometimes that guilt is a big one to hold yeah, them, them back. And you're saying, one, it's normal. Two, if you notice if it becomes shame. Mm. Mm. And three, to use these, you called it mantras or, you know, just... Yeah. counteract some of that negative self-talk and notice it. Is that what you would recommend? Yeah, exactly. And one of the key bits of like, is it overplaying into shame is if you're not talking about it with anyone, because shame, we don't tend to talk about. We just keep within ourselves like a, and then it grows. Whereas guilt, we could say, oh, I've messed up and I, I'd be willing to talk about it. So if you notice yourself not wanting to talk about what you think you've done wrong, then that might be a sign that actually the, the original expectations were unrealistic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think that is definitely an un- the unrealistic expectation is a big one that mm. I'm seeing a lot. So because many parents who return from maternity leave want to show that they still got it, they really work hard and they totally overplay being an excellent leader. And they're actually absolutely good enough, but they're just getting exhausted because they're trying so hard to be perfect. And what you're saying is that's not necessary to perform excellent. You just need to think about what is important what do you want to achieve focus on that and leave the rest slide and I really agree with that Mm. no she captured that far better than I think I could have done (laughs) I just want to talk about breaks briefly partly because I'm reading the book rest by Alex Pang at the moment which is very interesting so many of our listeners don't get a break we used to have to commute yeah but those who work from home they now go straight from a very challenging business meeting to looking after a screaming three-year-old who really wants to be fed right now and ideally with Cocoa Pops, not the vegetables that you're serving them. Yeah. Um, what, how do you 
be at your best in this situation. Have you experienced that yourself? Yeah, because a lot of my work went online through the original lockdowns. Elite Sport had a dispensation such that we did actually go back to work earlier. But right now, like I'm in my husband's uh, sports physiotherapist, this is his rehab space. Then there's an office in the kitchen and the office is a bit closer to the kitchen. If Isla hears my voice, then I know she's <laughs> she's going to find that a bit difficult. So, And then you literally go from here to there. And exactly. We're so lucky to be able to work from home, but it does create those sorts of challenges as well. So I really like to put in just little transitions and those can be the simplest of things. You can metabolize the stress hormones and neurotransmitters within two minutes of just intentional breathing and two minutes like we can we can give ourselves that there's a really nice five four three two one exercise that I really like to do I originally start teaching it in schools with with children to help them reset in class but actually I use it for myself so you might have heard of it but you basically just sit for a moment and just look around the room and notice five things you can see so you just name them in your mind like I can see some weights I can see a filing cabinet whatever it's just notice it and you could have a point of curiosity of hmm I wonder how that came to be here I wonder who was involved in the creation of that item that I can see so five things I can see four things I can touch and actually notice the physical sensations. So I can feel my hair against my cheek. I can feel my legs on this chair. What does it feel like? Three things I can hear. Just notice those three things I can hear. Two things I can taste and one thing I can smell. And you're working through your senses. And if you take two minutes to do that, you can reset from a point of stress to a point of calm. And I mean, there's no guarantee when you walk into the kitchen, the little one's coke pots might, <laughs> we might still find ourselves with a challenge in our heads, but it gives yourself a bit more chance. Mm, that's absolutely excellent advice. And this has been extremely enlightening mm. and I love how clear you are in your explanations. To finish, can you share three practical things, someone who hears this and wants to improve their performance something that they can start today? Yeah. So first of all, what is the performance you are aspiring to? So just close your eyes for 30 seconds and visualize yourself doing it. What would you see, hear, feel? Let's actually get a picture in our mind of what it looks like. And when you do that, your mind almost then starts to work towards it of its own accord because you've told yourself it's important. The second thing I think is find someone that can help you. We are wired to connect. We are wired to be in a tribe, to work together. It's through relationships that we achieve greatness. So share with a friend, whether it's formally or informally, what your dream is, what your goal is, and just ask for their support with it. Just have a have a, someone that's going to champion you. And then the third one, I think, is just recognizing there are going to be setbacks along the way to whatever it is you want to achieve. Anything you want to do that's worthwhile will involve failure. That's part of the process. So have a perhaps have a couple of mantras in mind. I'm quite a fan of that, as you can tell from the conversation, that when things go wrong, because they will, and if they don't, it means you're not stretching yourself. So that's more of an issue. So when things go wrong, how do I want to speak to myself and speak to myself with kindness? Because kindness then drives progress. It doesn't drive softness. It's, and even if it did, what's wrong with softness? But kindness is actually what will help you propel forwards. Fantastic. Excellent advice. Your work sounds extremely interesting. Where can people find out more about you? Where can they mm. connect with you? 
there are two main sort of channels for just my more sort of individual one-to-one work and therapeutic work is part of the prime clinic which I run with my husband kind of mind and body service which we love so just the primeclinic.co.uk I think it is and then the courses that I run more with elite athletes in businesses and schools is the moonshotseries.co.uk just moonshot series I think so yeah that's way and I'd, yeah please reach out I always love hearing what people are getting up to and how they're getting on with their own aspirations fantastic thank you very much Katie thank you for having me all the best thank you everyone for listening today I hope this was really useful and practical as always let me know what you think via Twitter, Instagram or LinkedIn I'm on at Hefty for Twitter so Katie has shared a couple of resources we go to theprimeclinic.co.uk that's where you find a lot of her work and also moonshotseries.co.uk for a number of courses that go into the neuroscience of performance and practical ways to build resilience so Katie has actually generously made available a code especially for the listeners of this podcast which is 20% with the code leaders with babies so just a reminder for any of you listening who want to apply to the award-winning fellowship program the 11th of October is the deadline to aim for and we'd love to hear from you and if you can share this episode with a friend or two that would be amazing or just share it on Facebook or Twitter or so thank you so much in advance for your effort next week we're going to be talking to Laura Latanka who is an executive director at Teach First uh, the biggest educational charity in the UK and she is a very interesting person because she actually got promoted whilst having very young children into that very nice role in a massive organisation. So I'm sure you'll absolutely love the episode that we're going to put on.